For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Trevor. I'm one of Pastor Joe's assistant pastors here. I've been here for almost 20 years, uh, and I do our men's ministry and just have the privilege to serve and do all kinds of stuff here around the church. So uh, it's a privilege for me to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and the reason I asked Chuck to hand out these pens or pencils is not because I think I have something so profound to tell you, but I have no doubt in my mind that as we read through this, you guys can absolutely understand this and comprehend it and be able to take things with you for the rest of your life. I always have a pen in my Bible uh, because I never know when something's going to hit me. And my Bible actually right here, I got this in 1994. So my Bible has all sorts of notes and little things that hit me at a time or somebody said something. I would encourage you guys, you guys are old enough now Get a Bible that you really like. And I guarantee you, if you go to your parents and say, I want a good study Bible, (laughs) your parents will invest the money into a good study Bible. Have no doubt. So take advantage of it. Pick out a good one because I guarantee you they'll spend the money on it. But you need a good Bible. It's helpful to have a pen. And as we work through this passage here, I have the utmost confidence in the word that you can absolutely grasp this and comprehend it, and hopefully spend time with it later on, um, and really benefit from it. So uh, let's pray, and then I'm going I'm to show you where we're going here. Lord, thank you so much. We just settle our hearts. Lord, we know, Lord, your word is powerful. We know you have truth here for us, Lord. We know there's things here that can help us and allow us to draw closer to you. So, Lord, we ask for our own hearts. Lord, we know many times that things in, a, in the way Lord, it's just our own mind, our own thoughts, our own heart, Lord. So we bring that before you. ask you to just give us clarity, clear our minds, clear our hearts. Lord, help us to be able to take your word in and have it find good soil. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for its simplicity, its clarity. Uh, Lord, thank you for instructing us. We commit it to you, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church. So it's a little weird to jump in right in the middle of a letter. If somebody sent you an email, you probably wouldn't just jump in right in the third paragraph of that email, right? You would read through the whole thing. So at some point, if you've never read Colossians, go back and read through it, and you'll kind of get a better sense of the point that Paul's trying to make. But for time's sake, let's jump in here to chapter 3. We're going to read the first 17 verses. And I want you guys to study along with me, and I'm going to kind of show you, I believe, how to break this down uh, and how to get some things out of it. I'm going to show you guys 10 words and phrases that will unlock this passage for you, things that if you can grab those 10 things, you'll absolutely understand what Paul was trying to say. So let's just read through the first 17 verses. I'll show you those things, and we'll go back and talk about them. All right, so it says in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, uh, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I know that's a pretty big chunk of scripture, uh, but I have, again, confidence that you guys can absolutely grab a hold of this. We can get something out of it. So I came up with these 10 things. Again, I'm just trying to help you understand this passage, help me understand it. Uh, So you could have different things, but I'm going to give you my 10 things to help understand this passage. And then when we work through it, hopefully they they stick out. So number one, verse one, I underlined the word seek. And I'm going to tell you what that means here in a little bit. The second thing is I underlined the word set in verse two. Verse five, put to death. Verse eight, put off. Verse 10, Put on, verse 12, put on, Uh, verse 13, even as, that's important, verse 14, you'll see put on, verse 15, the peace of God, and then lastly, in verse 16, the word of Christ. Now, so I did that not because I want you to just think exactly the way I think, just so you don't get intimidated. You can absolutely look at this and understand it. So let's think through this. The first four verses kind of group together. So it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul here is writing this letter to this church, and he's trying to give them wisdom on how to really walk the Christian life. Now, there's sometimes in the Bible where the authors are writing to people who aren't saved, who don't know God, and they're trying to communicate God's love to them and forgiveness. This is one of those passages where Paul is writing to people that are already Christians. Okay, because I'm going to give you some things that I think the Bible says that are good to do in our life, but it could be confusing if you're not a Christian and you say, okay, but I want to still do those things 
that those things you were talking about, that'll lead to confusion. This only makes sense to believers, okay? So if you're here and you're not saved, that's fine. That's fine. You're going to hear about God's love sometime this weekend, and you're around people who love you and will communicate that to you. This here is Paul is saying, as Christians, if you're saved, if you've been born again, if you have a new life, then here's how I want you to live. Here's the things that should be important to you. Now, how many of you guys have ever seen someone get baptized before? Most of, okay, good. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a church baptism, right? And when we do our baptism, we go to uh, a lady here in the church who has a big pool, and we get out there in teams of two, and we baptize people. And when we do it, we get our money's worth. We go all the way under, come all the way up, right? No sprinkling, no uh, nothing else. We... We get our money's worth. So, but when someone gets baptized, is anything spiritually magically happening? No, right? When you get baptized, what you're doing is you're just publicly telling everybody else, hey, something happened. I used to be a sinner, and now I'm forgiven, and now I have new life. Have you ever thought about that? That's why, because you think, well, why would you dunk someone in water to show that they're a Christian? So we explain it to people, and we say that as we baptize you, what we're doing is when you put someone down into the water, you're signifying that your old life, your sinful life, is now over, right? And you now have a new life. You're a new person, and you are raised with Christ. So your old life is buried, and now you have a new life, and you should walk in that life. Now, obviously, does that mean we never struggle again? Of course not. By the time you drive home from the baptism, you're probably struggling with something, right? But it does mean that some transaction has taken place in your life where you are legitimately saved and God has forgiven you and God is now in you and you are a new person. And that is what Paul says here. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, if you are forgiven and you have a genuine walk with the Lord then here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to seek those things which are above. Now, that word there means to work hard for something. If, if I hide something in the building this afternoon, and I know this building really well, I could probably find some good hiding spots for some things. You would have to really seek hard to find where I hid something. That's the idea here. The idea is not that you just sit around and all of a sudden these truths just sort of float in and hit you over the head, and all of a sudden you just have these epiphanies. It means sometimes you actually have to be diligent and desire something and go after it. And so Paul says here, I want you to work hard for and to desire those things which are above, which means that we give ourselves to those things, right? We understand that God is gracious, and it's, it's all about God's grace, but when we receive that, then we respond to that. And then we say, okay, I understand a little bit. Now I want to give myself to those things. I'm going to seek after, and he says, those things which are above. And he's talking about heavenly things, things of God's kingdom, where Christ is right now sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on the earth. So seek was the first word to really help. We need to put diligence and effort into seeking things that are above. 
And then he says, in order to do that, you have to set your mind on things above, which means to bring something into focus. How many of you guys like taking pictures on your phone? Those of you guys who are out of town, you're probably going to take some pictures while you're here, right, of the church or a Philly or doing something funny or cool, right? When you pull your phone out, your phone now has something where it will automatically bring into focus what you're doing, right? And sometimes uh, the better technology will actually put little boxes over people's faces showing you what's in focus, what's not in focus, right? Because the, the degree to whether a picture is good or not is whether it's in focus, right? Imagine you, you're taking this great shot of downtown Philly. You got the art museum and the Rocky Steps and all these things, and you realize my camera messed up and the trash can in front is in focus and the whole art museum is out of focus, that would be a bummer, wouldn't it? Because you're like, man, I was there. I had the whole thing. A picture, the value of a picture depends on having the right thing in focus. And the same thing is true with our lives. We have to have the right thing in focus. And so Paul says here, seek those things which are above. And in order to do that, you have to focus your mind. Okay. In order to do something hard and diligent and to put effort into something, the first thing you have to do is make sure that your mind is engaged. And I don't know if you're like me, but I can get distracted very easily, right? And it doesn't seem to be getting better. I get distracted very easily. So I have to purpose in my mind that I'm going to set here my mind on things above, not on the earth, because my attention can very quickly get drawn away to other things. I don't know if you're like that or not, but that's how I am. And so he says, set your mind on things above, not on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. So the idea is your old life, your old, that sinful nature is now done, right? And just like when we baptize someone, we bring them up. You now have a new life. You are not the same person. Now, by the way, I was raised in a Christian home. I think I prayed to accept the Lord when I was like five years old. My mom used to tell the story. I struggled from time to time in junior high and in high school, but I never had one of those moments where I just went out and lost my mind and then totally radically got saved. So if you're like me, and maybe that's your story and you have, you've grown up in a Christian home, it doesn't matter if you don't know that incredible day where the light shone and you fell on your knees and you said, God, I'm a sinner. If you've just gotten it and from a young age, uh, this was just a part of me. So I don't have that day. So I want to just encourage you, though, with that, that uh, seek those things which are above, set your mind, for you died. Our old life, whether you really can remember those times where you full-on were just out there doing evil things, or if you just know you're evil in your heart, but you got saved early on, that's fine. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what does that mean that we should set our minds on things above? It means two things. Number one, we understand that the world that we live in here, this physical earth, is part of the reality, but there's a greater part of reality in heaven right now where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And secondly, we are all going to go see him at some point, whether it's quickly or long in earthly terms, we're headed that way. 
So when he says, set your mind on things above, the idea is set your mind on heaven and set your mind on the future. Those two things will help you dramatically in your life. It'll help me dramatically in my life. If we can do those two things, set your mind on things above and things in the future. Because then the things around us can't affect us to that degree. If I know God's in charge and I know ultimately I'm going to heaven, that dramatically affects the way that I look at the world around me. And it helps shape my worldview. So look at verse 5. Now he's going to give us, because of that, he's going to give us some practical examples here of some things to do and some things to not do. So that's why he says the word therefore. See in verse 5, therefore. Now here's our third phrase, put to death your members which are on the earth. Now here's the deal. When you get saved, your old man dies, you are raised to new life, But the problem is we still have a sinful nature inside of us. We still have something inside of us that if we let it, it will go the wrong direction, right? That's called our sinful nature. So Paul says here, even though our old man is dead and we're a new creation, he says you still each day have to make sure that you're not feeding that old nature, Um that you are not giving breath to that, that you are not allowing it space to operate. And that's what he means here when he says, put to death your members, your sinful nature. So for the rest of your life, if you're saved, you're going to have your spirit, which is alive, which wants to follow God, and you're going to have your flesh that wants to do its own thing. The rest of your life, you're going to have that battle. Now, does that mean that it's always going to go back and forth? In one sense, yes, but in another sense, it's not depressing. If you feed your spirit and you seek those things which are above and you set your mind on those things and you put on things that are good, is your spirit going to grow and get stronger? Absolutely. If you put to death your members, things that you shouldn't be doing on earth daily, is your flesh going to become less powerful? Absolutely. Okay, so that's that's the encouragement in all of this that and that's where Paul is headed with this. So he says, put to death your members. Do not give your flesh room to operate. In one sense, everybody's in the same and in one sense, everybody's a little bit unique. But, you know, when something gets your flesh excited, (laughs) you know, when you're doing something and that sinful nature, sinful nature begins to rise up inside of you. Paul says, you've got to put it to death. Don't feed it. Don't let it out. Don't let it play. Don't mess with it. Now, specifically, he says it comes out often in two separate areas. Number one, in our relationship with other people. And in this case, it's a sexual context and with things that we possess. So what Paul's saying is human beings have two big weaknesses, two areas that they can really get into trouble if they're not careful. Number one is their relationship with other people in a romantic sense or in a sexual sense. People can very quickly do things that they wouldn't normally want to do because of a weakness there in their flesh. So he says you got to put these things to death. Don't allow 
fornication, uncleanness, passions, or desires to overcome you or to take you somewhere you don't want to go. You have to rule over those things. And then secondly, he throws this in, which might seem a little bit weird. He says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, isn't that interesting? He says, and covetousness. Now, covetousness just means our desire for lots of stuff. And we all have it, right? Now, the stuff that you want might be a little different than the stuff I want, but we all have this desire that we want more, right? Whatever it is that we like, there's something inside of us that is never quite satisfied. We want something more. And Paul says here, you have to be careful because if you feed that, if you don't put it to death, it's going to take you down. That's your flesh. If you, if you feed it, you're going to get in trouble. Now, what's the op? So if someone is covetous, they want more. What's the opposite of that? Just think about it for a second. I'll, I'll tell you what I think. The opposite of that is being content. Okay? The idea of being content means I am satisfied and I am cool with where I'm at. Okay? And the Bible has a verse that every one of you probably knows. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Everybody heard that verse? And you might go into the bookstore and see a poster of some guy like climbing a rock wall, and it'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or some guy in Hawaii surfing like a 50-foot wave, and it'll say, I can do all things. Steph Curry puts that on his shoes, and you see him shooting threes. But when Paul wrote that to the Philippians, he says, I've learned to be content. I've learned that whether I have a lot of stuff right now or whether I don't, I'm cool. I'm good. And that's what contentment means. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So it's good to understand that verse and where it comes from. So we understand we have a specific weakness when it comes to our desires sexually and our desires for other things. Paul says you got to put that stuff to death. You can't let it reign in your body. Verse 6 says, And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these. Now, here's this section from verse 8 to verse 12, actually probably verse 13, where he's going to talk about putting off and putting on. And if I can... Just say, if you walk away with nothing else this morning, this is what I would love for you guys to grab. This is the main point of what uh, I'm trying to communicate with you guys this morning. And my desire is that you would be able to live a fulfilling Christian life. The opposite of that is a frustrated Christian life. If you're here and you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, right? How you live your life, though, can either be very satisfying or very frustrating, depending on what we do with these things. Paul says, I want you to put off certain things, and I want you to put on certain other things. Okay? So, here we go. Verse 8. But now you yourselves, so put off, that's the third, uh, we're at four, number four. Put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Now, what do all those things have in common? They have to do with how we speak to one another. Anger usually comes out in something we say. Wrath is when you freak out and just say something crazy. Malice, very similar. Blasphemous is when you say something that's blasphemous. Filthy language is unholy speech. And lying, when we're lying to one another, we're lying to someone in what we're saying. So Paul says here, one of the things we have to be careful of is that the way we speak to someone is true, is that we're, we're watching our tongues and what we say. Okay. Now, look at verse 10. And we have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So he says, you got to do this. You got to put these things off and put on certain other things. So the first thing he says is we have to watch the way that we speak. Our old nature is going to be tempted to freak out and to say things that are not good. Okay? And if you let that go, it will do exactly that. But he says, I want you to put off those things. Now imagine if, um, let's say you go out and you are on one of those um, endurance races. Have you guys seen those uh, where they just have to do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And let's say after that, you're going to go to the movies, right? So you go to one of these endurance races where you're running up the hill and then you're climbing through the mud and you're jumping over stuff and all those things, right? And then you have to meet your friends at the movies after that. Right? So you come out, you're sweaty, you're soaked, you're dirty, and imagine if someone shows up to drop you off and they say, here's some clothes, just put those on over what you got. And then you walk into the movies, in one sense it almost looks like you're clean, but everybody would look at you like a little strange, right? Like, why did you just try to put new clothes over <laughs> your dirty, smelly, sweaty clothes? Right? That would be bizarre. None of us would do that. Right? Why? Because it really wouldn't work. Underneath, you're still dirty and sweaty and all those sorts of things. Now, here's, here's where I'm going with all of this. Sometimes in our life, we struggle because we know what the Bible says to do, and we know what the Bible says not to do, and sometimes we try to do what the Bible says to do, but we're still struggling with what the Bible says not to do, and then we end up kind of frustrated. And we're like, Lord, I don't understand. This doesn't, it seems like easier for other people. Why is this not, I don't understand. I don't seem to get it. This seems really hard. This doesn't seem to be working well. Why is that? Because sometimes we can try to put something on without taking off the old stuff first. And sometimes we can try to take the old stuff off, but then not replace it with something that's clean and fresh and new. And that's the idea here from what Paul is saying. So he's saying the first thing when you're wanting to walk with the Lord, when you're wanting to do these things, is you got to control your mouth. The first thing is the Lord wants to control your ability to speak and how you respond. So in our old life, we might have been angry and wrathful and freaking out and blasphemous and filthy language, and all those sorts of things, Paul says, you got to put that off. That's not good. And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, who is different, right? 
That's the idea. In the image of him who created him. So now we look at that. We're in the image of God who has created us. We know where we came from, right? Why we're here. And he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on these things. So he gives us these two contrasting ideas. He says, here's people's weaknesses. They get, they get trapped in doing things that are sexually not right. They get trapped in trying to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff, and they get covetous. And their mouth and the things that they do, their anger, all of those sorts of things are just not good. So he's saying you got to put those things to death. you got to... Um, Take those things off and instead now put these things on, okay? And you will discover, I believe, this is why I like this passage because I believe it's very simple, that these things actually work. Now, here's the analogy that I thought of when I was uh, putting this together. My family and I were on vacation um, probably about five or six years ago, and we were at a place where they had a swimming pool. And it was really nice. It was a nice day. So we were all sitting out by the pool, And this guy came to the pool, and it looked like he was trying to get in shape, right? So he he had his swimming goggles on, he had his towel, he was not in super good shape, I'm saying that nicely, but he looked like he wanted to get in shape, right? And so this guy got in the pool, and he started swimming laps, right? And I'm sitting there on the lounge chair just kind of watching him, and after about a half an hour... I turned to my wife. I said, wow, this guy is really swim. Like he didn't take a break. He was just swimming back and forth. After an hour, it started to occur to me, like how could this guy be this out of shape with that kind of desire and drive to exercise? I said, there must be something he's missing. Here's my analogy. You guys familiar with these two objects, correct? All right. Now, let's say you're going to go out and exercise like that guy did. Let's say I'm going to start my timer, and I'm going to say start swimming laps for an hour. That's not easy, right? And then at the end of it, you're going to come out of the pool. You're going to be tired. You're going to be exhausted. And I'm going to say, okay, which one of these two things do you want to help you recover? Now, don't shout it out, and I'll give you a hint. This is a trick question, okay? Which one of these two things is going to help you recover? The answer is neither one of them. You know why? Because this has 39 grams of sugar added to it, pure refined white sugar. This has a little more than half of that, 21 grams of sugar. Now, imagine that guy. He's not in shape but he has a desire to get in shape. So much so that he's willing on his vacation to come down to the pool and exert his body to an incredible degree, swimming for an entire hour, but he's not seeing the results he wants to get. He's not in shape. And I thought, wow, that's how frustrating that must be to be willing to put your body through all of that, but then not to get it. And I thought, Sometimes people do that, right? They'll exercise, they'll do all these things, and then they'll go home and they'll drink a Gatorade thinking, man, I'm doing what's right, right? And what happens? 
all of a sudden you're filling your body with sugar and your body starts freaking out because that's not what it wants, right? And sometimes Christians can be like that. They think, man, I want to follow the Lord. I want to do this right. I want to be a different person. I want to do those things. And then you try to start and you just feel like, but I'm not getting anywhere. Why isn't this working? Why isn't the guy who's he's obviously got enough determination, he's obviously got the ability to exercise, why isn't it working? And oftentimes, it's a matter of little things. Paul says here, if you go to put on certain things, but you haven't already put off the other things, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to be like a guy trying to exercise, trying to get in shape, and not seeing the results that you want to get. So what he says here is you got to put those things off. So maybe today there's, you're trying to walk with the Lord. You're trying to read your Bible. You're obviously here. You're willing to give up time. You want to come on this uh, conference, but you feel frustrated. You're like, because every time I try to really follow the Lord, it just seems to not work out. Maybe there's some things here in your life that you have to put off. Maybe you're like the guy who is putting on the new stuff, but he hasn't taken off the old stuff. Or maybe you're like the guy who says, okay, I'm determined. I'm going to go home. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to smoke that. But if you don't put on these other things, you're going to have that same level of frustration. And I just want to encourage you guys, and I would love to have everybody grasp this, that it really is relatively simple. And it absolutely 100% guaranteed to work. Just like if you exercise and you eat good, you will get in shape. If you exercise and don't eat good, you'll be frustrated, right? If you eat good but don't exercise, what's going to happen? You're just not, you're not, they both have to be there. So putting off has to be there and putting on has to be there. There's things in our life that we need to put off and there's things in our life that we need to put on. So look at verse 12. What are the things that we need to put on? Number one, tender mercies, to be merciful, which means to be careful. Tender, as the adjective there, gives us that idea. Um, how many of you guys, your parents have a garden at home? A couple of you guys, okay. So you know when those plants are little, you have to be careful when you go out and water them, right? If you just turn the hose on full blast and just nail that thing right square in the middle, what's going to happen? If your dad's a gardener, he's not going to be happy, right? Because you're going to wreck his plants. You have to be careful because those plants early on are tender. There are people you have to, you can't be just, you have to be merciful, but tenderly merciful. We, when we're around other people, we need to use tender mercies, kindness, self-explanatory. Humility, which means not pridefulness, somebody who is humble. Meekness is somebody that has power that could do things and is willing to not do that for their own sake. Meekness is power under control. Long-suffering, which again is self-explanatory, to suffer long with someone. Bearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Just think about it for a second. From verse 12 
down through, um, even look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. What do all of those things have in common? They all have to deal with how we treat other people. Right? Paul says, when he wants to really break something down for us, he says, think about and be careful how you treat other people. Uh, last week, I did a, one of the bigger funerals I've ever done. So a funeral home here. It was a guy who was very successful. Um, he was very well educated. He was very well known in his industry. And therefore, it was a very large funeral. This guy had a lot of friends, a lot of people he worked with, a lot of people liked him. And what I found interesting is at a funeral, you have a time called a eulogy. You guys been to a funeral before? A eulogy is where about halfway through the funeral, the pastor stops and asks if anybody wants to say something about the person who you are there for the funeral, right? And eulogy means to speak well of someone. Now, all eulogies are a little different. All funerals are slightly different. You never quite know what's going to happen. And so the room was packed. His family was there. The guys that he worked with were there. Other friends and neighbors were there. This guy was very successful, very smart, very accomplished, very well educated. And what struck me the most is when people came up and talked, to me, talked about him, guess what they talked about? It wasn't his education, it wasn't his accomplishments, it wasn't his, his, those things that he did super well, right? It was who he was. In fact, his daughter got up and she basically killed everybody by telling this story. I say that in a good way. She just like, it was great. She told this story about when she was 18 years old, she was driving on the road and she rear-ended another car because she wasn't paying attention. And she was like slightly traumatized. She was just crying and kind of freaking out. And her dad got there to the scene of the accident and her dad put his arms around her and comforted her and walked her through that. And this was like 30 years later. She was still crying at the kindness of her dad that he had showed her in that moment. It wasn't his master's from Ohio State. It wasn't the six figures that he was making. It wasn't all the people that were there to say that this guy was one of the best managers they had ever worked under. It was his daughter saying, my dad was so kind to me when I screwed up so bad. And he didn't yell at me. He just came and comforted me. And it just totally broke her down. And everybody in the funeral was like, ay, 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 right? But that's what this is all about. So Paul says here, it's not about how smart we are, how organized we are, how hardworking. Those things are obviously important. But here he says, no, think about how you interact with other people. Kind, merciful, uh, long-suffering, loving. Now, if you're like me, you say, okay, I want to do those things. But sometimes I feel like I would have to fake it. Like, I don't want to do those things. There's some people that kind of get on my nerves, and I don't want to be long-suffering to them. So how do I do that right without being fake or being disingenuous? So this is one of our other things here. Look at verse 13, even as. See that? So you think, well, what about if someone doesn't deserve it? Or what if they're not kind back to me? Or what if 
I've been long-suffering with this person for too long. How do I do that? What if somebody really hurts me? Here's the key. Verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against somebody else, if there's anything about someone that bugs you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So you want to know how to do it without being fake? Think about how much God has forgiven you and how patient God has been with you and how kind God has been with you and how merciful God has been with me and then use, respond to that by then extending that to other people. Did we deserve it? No. So then, therefore, I can then give it because I know I didn't deserve it, so I can then give it to someone whether they deserve it or not without being fake. So Paul says, don't be angry and wrathful and full of malice and wanting to get people back. you got to put that off. Those are dirty clothes. Those are old things that you need to get rid of. Instead, you need to be kind and tenderhearted and merciful and patient and loving towards other people. right? So we want to make sure we're putting off the things that need to come off and we're putting on the things that need to come on. Right? That's the important thing. And that will get you to a point where you're not frustrated. Now, last two points. Look here at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God rule in your hearts. What does that mean? It means sometimes you're going to have to make decisions that aren't necessarily right or wrong, like sinful and not sinful, right? There's some decisions which are just very easy. You know, that's wrong. This is right. It's not a hard decision to make. There's other ones where you're like, man, should I go to basketball camp or to drumming camp? Should I go on a missions trip or should I go downtown and help the homeless, right? Both of those are good. So what do we do when we have to make a decision between things that aren't clear as far as whether they're totally right or wrong? He says the peace of God here, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called. There's a peace when we're walking with the Lord and we're seeking him. There's a general peace that should be characterized in us, right? Now, what happens when that peace goes away and all of a sudden you feel kind of anxious and you feel like, man, maybe this isn't right? Sometimes we just kind of get emotional and anxious and our emotions are up and down and it works out. Other times we're heading in a direction God doesn't want us to go, so he'll remove that peace so that he can get our attention. Why does he do that? So then we can say, all right, Lord, I'm not sure about this now. I kind of have this weird feeling in my heart. Am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing something else? Help me to know what to do here. That's that peace. It's a subjective thing, right? But sometimes that's how he gets our attention. uh, A story maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, I had always wanted this one car. It was a BMW. And I was looking on Craigslist, and this guy was selling this used BMW for $3,000. And I thought, wait a second, this sounds too good to be true. And what happened? My covetousness got engaged, and I didn't put it to death. And I thought, oh, man, this would be the coolest thing. I've always wanted one of those. In my mind and in my heart, 
I felt this hesitancy. I was like, man, maybe I shouldn't do this. And the Lord was trying to get my attention. Not because he wanted to punish me. He wanted to save me. Because what happened? I bought the car. And what I discovered was that when cars like that reach a certain level, they become very expensive to fix when they break down. And guess what else happens? They break down a lot. And so basically what happened is this guy sold me his piece of junk car (laughs) that had a BMW emblem on the front of it. And for the next 18 months, I went through a good chunk of my savings fixing this piece of junk car that had the nice emblem on the front of it. Now, what should I have done? I should have listened to that little voice. Was God angry at me? No. He was just trying to say, save your money. (laughs) You don't need this. You don't need that thing, right? Don't be covetous. But I didn't do it. I pushed through because I saw what I wanted, and I went after it. So learn to recognize that feeling in your heart early on. When it's not a sinful thing, it's not a bad thing, but sometimes God takes that peace away because he wants us to wake up. Hey, think about this for a second. Look at this. Maybe ask someone else. Maybe there's someone in your life who's good at cars. Maybe they'll tell you, "Uh, that's dumb. Don't do that. I should have done that. I didn't do that, right? Because I wanted that. So the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Don't go against that peace. And then lastly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, peace is subjective, right? But the word of God is objective. So when you put both of those together, don't go against a lack of peace and don't ever go against something that you know very clearly the Bible says specifically about. That will keep you safe. Those are the two sort of pillars, two bookends to help you make decisions in life. Let the word of God be at home in your heart, richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean like what we just did? Not necessarily. We like to worship early in the morning before teaching because we know, number one, the Lord desires it. And when the believers gather together, they should gather together. And one of the things they should do is they should lift up their voices in unison and in worship. We did that this morning, and we'll probably do it several other times today. What Paul's saying here is there should be times throughout the day when just spontaneously in your heart, you feel like praising the Lord. You think about how good God has been to you, and you respond to that spontaneously and genuinely by having uh, a song or just something in your heart where you are full and you are just overflowing. So worship is great, but then there should also be those moments during the day where it just all of a sudden something hits us and we respond to that in genuineness, filled with the Spirit, spiritual songs, with grace in your heart, and whatever you do, verse 17, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I believe you guys can absolutely understand that section of Scripture. And I hope you underline some of those things, and I hope throughout the years those things will become more and more real to you. So I'm going to pray for you, but my heart for you this morning, again, if you get nothing else, 
is I want you to live a satisfied Christian life, which is found in having those two things in harmony, right? Just like if you're trying to get physically strong, you have to be exercising and eating healthy. If you want to get spiritually strong, you have to be putting off and putting on, both of those things. If you do one without the other, in either scenario, you're going to get frustrated. If you do both of them, it works. I guarantee you it works. I guarantee you if you put that to the test, you will see the results you want to see. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for each one of these young men and women. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you would make each one of them students of your word, that you would open up your scriptures to them, Lord, that they would be able to see and to know what you have for them, Lord. So, uh, Lord, right now as a group of believers, Lord, we lift up our voices. And I pray, Lord, at different times, you would just receive our praise throughout the day, uh, just from grateful hearts, Lord, full of grace. So we thank you, pray in your name. Amen.